right, thank you for being here tonight. Let's go ahead and stand, take our Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. As Pastor had mentioned, he's training and uh, doing some uh, leadership lessons with some of the men in our church. And so uh, 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 be in prayer for that. And, and, and uh, we pray that uh, God will continue to raise up more uh, uh, men in our church who, who are able to step up in leadership and uh, be able to be future deacons, future Sunday school teachers, future preachers, and fill the pulpit for pastor. And so please be in prayer for that as pastors very burdened about the leadership in our church that God will continue to grow us uh, in faith altogether. And tonight we're going to continue our series in the First Thessalonians entitled the triumphant church or the church triumphant we're going to continue the series and tonight we're going to look at a subject that is very essential in order to keep our church growing and in order to help each individual christian uh, uh, uh faithful to the will of god and the work of the lord all right first thessalonians chapter number one uh, i'm actually going to go ahead and read verse number one to nine and then we'll have uh, a time where we read verse number six together afterwards all right Chapter number one, look around you who, uh, who needs help or who doesn't uh, have a Bible, share your Bible with them, please. The Bible says, Paul and Silvanus, who's also Silas, and Timotheus and Timothy, unto the church of Thessalonica, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God. God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for a gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything." For they themselves show us of what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned uh, to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Would you read verse number six all together out loud with me? And then we'll have a word of prayer and dive in into our message tonight. And we pray that it'll be a blessing and a challenge to your spiritual faith. Verse number six, all together, ready, begin. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Tonight we're going to study a subject entitled Conserving the Conversions or How to Have Fruit That Remains. All of us are to be a part of the souling ministry of our church, amen? Uh, and in doing so, one of the key uh, priorities that we need is to, uh, to emphasize is to help those who have been converted, those who've been saved, to stay in church, to get plugged in, and to grow spiritually. So let's have the word, word of prayer. And if you could also remember in your prayers tonight uh, for Brother Vaughn and for Brother uh, uh, Daniel, who's out in the cold uh, 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 state of Wisconsin, uh, pray that they don't freeze over there. Amen. And if you could also pray uh, for my dad, uh, just uh, personally. Uh, my dad had been, uh, was admitted to the hospital on Monday, uh, or sorry, on Sunday night. And if you could just keep him in prayer uh, before the Lord, he's uh, about to have surgery either tomorrow or Friday. If you could just lift him up before the Lord, I'd appreciate that if you could, please. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for allowing us to meet together in church. And we're so excited what you're doing here at Heritage Baptist. But we understand, Lord, that tonight you still want to do greater things among our midst. Help us, Lord, to be a people, a congregation of faith. And Lord, I'm thinking about what you told the disciples, how even in your hometown, you couldn't do the work that you wanted 
because of unbelief. Help us, Lord, tonight to realize that our lack of faith, our unbelief has the, has the possibility of hindering or restraining what you want to do in and through our church, especially, Lord, in this area of outreach and ministering through soul winning and, and, and seeing our converts stay in church. Help us, Lord, not to have doubts or unbelief in our hearts, but help us, Lord, to know what the word of God says and to believe it and live it and apply it in our daily lives. So Lord, use it tonight. Use the message tonight uh, to increase our faith. And then we pray, Lord, for next door as our pastor is uh, taking the time to teach and mentor uh, some of the men that are in our church. Would you please, Lord, raise up godly men in our church who will be leaders uh, even now uh, to, to, to our church members. And so we commit that to you as well. We love you. Thank you for first loving us. For this we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Tonight's lesson on conserving the con uh, conversions is going to be more instructional uh, than it is uh, 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 preaching per se. And tonight I want us to personalize this message and this uh, lesson on how to be a better soul winner for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to start off with an illustration from, uh, 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 from uh, a letter that was given to a church by a young lady who was affected uh, by their ministry. It says, some time ago, an 18-year-old girl from Washington State attended a worship service, and for the first time in her life, she heard the gospel message. The following Tuesday, the member of the church received a letter from her. It read, and as I say, quote, Dear church members, last Sunday I attended your church and heard the preacher. In the sermon, the preacher said that all, the, all, uh, that all men have sinned and rebelled against God. Because of their rebellion and disobedience, they all face eternal damnation and separation from God. But then he also said, God loves man and sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem men from their sins and that all those who believe in him would go to heaven and live with God eternally. My parents recently died in rapid succession. I know they did not believe in Jesus Christ, whom you call the Savior of the world. If what you believe is true, they are then damned. You compel me to believe that either this message is true or that you yourselves do not believe this message or that you don't care. You see, we live only three blocks from your church and no one ever told us. And you think about that thought for a second. That a family who lived three blocks away from a gospel preaching church failed to touch, reach, and impact this family. You know, it's a scary thought that a church could possibly misrepresent God. Our church needs to be spiritual and that we need to be all that we can in faith so that we could represent God properly. From the youngest to the oldest, from the recent salvations and to the oldest uh, 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 salvation-wise believer in the church, every Christian needs to realize that their faith is a representation of God. No matter where you are in life, no matter how long you've been saved, your faith is a representation of Christ. Now, that doesn't only uh, apply to the individual Christian. That is also applicable to the congregation or to the church body. As a church, our community will view God 
according to what they see in our church. If our church is not living by faith, if our church is not passionate about loving God and about loving people, if our church is failing to reach our communities with the gospel, then we are misrepresenting Christ and the Lord. Remember that the church is the body and the bride of Christ, that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. The church is the assembly of God's believers and followers, and it is our goal that our church will properly represent the Lord. As a healthy church, one of the ways that we represent the Lord is not only by seeing converts regularly come to Christ, but also the keeping and the growing of those new converts. We have to make sure that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ's teaching in John 15, verse 16, where he said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it you. Notice that phrase, that your fruit should remain. It's not just one thing to ask, who's the last person you led to the Lord? Who's the last person you've witnessed to? But it's also important to ask who's in church because of you? Whose family is being changed because of your ministry to that person? We must take the high responsibility and consideration towards the conserving of new converts in our ministry. A healthy church is bearing the fruit of new believers, but is also building the lives of those new believers. As independent fundamental Baptists, we believe that it is our duty to follow God's command to reaching the entire world. And that will not occur, that will not be reached if we fail to keep those converts in church. And so tonight we're just gonna study here uh, 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 expository wise uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter one, this thought of conserving the, conver uh, the conversions or how to have fruit that remains. So if you're taking notes, follow along with me if you could please. As we see the first point here, the resistance of society. Look again if you could in chapter number one, verse number, uh, let's start with verse number four. It says, knowing brethren, beloved, your election of God, for a gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among, uh, that we, are, uh, we were among you for your sake. And notice verse number six, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word, notice this phrase, in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now what was Paul referring to regarding the affliction of the believers there in Thessalonia? Well, in Acts chapter 17, we're given a commentary about how this church started. It says in verse number one, actually let's take a moment to turn there. I'm gonna read verse number five as the emphasis, but if you notice in chapter number 17 of the book of Acts, verse one, it says, now when they, talking about Paul and the men that were with him, had passed through Apimphalus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where it was a synagogue of the Jews, verse two. And, apostle, uh, and, the, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And, this is, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed, the Bible says, and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So there was a score, uh, there was a, 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 a multiple of people who got saved. But then notice what verse number five says. But the Jews 
which believed not, believed not in Jesus, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sword, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. You see, in Thessalonica, in, in the believers here, in the start of their church, there was, even in their culture, a resistance to church attendance. There was a resistance against the gospel, a resistance against the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is nothing new that, of what we experience today. The believers in the first century experienced resistance, and we no doubt uh, should expect resistance in our society as well. Well, I want to talk about two specific reasons uh, to why there's a resistance in our society regarding going to church, believing in God, and following Jesus Christ. First, I see the resistance that is due to the divisive enemies. We are living in an evil day. Ephesians 6.12 teaches us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, there is an enemy that we face on a day-to-day basis. We believers in Christ need to realize that we are in a spiritual battle. Now let's be honest with ourselves for a second. How many of us this week, maybe take the past three days since Sunday and ask this question, were we aware of the spiritual battle that we are in? You see, the unfortunate truth is that the average Christian does not even realize that they're in a spiritual battle. There's a demoralizing agenda against the name of Jesus. There's an attack against, the, uh, against God and his word. The thought about God in the Bible is mocked and ridiculed all around our, our society. The attendance of church is being looked down upon. And it's all due to the spiritual battle that we are in. You think about how the government laws are being passed against God. They say to do away with the truth and to do away with the Bible. In our educational systems, there's an animosity against God. They're raising their voices against God, teaching children that God is not real and that the Bible is not true and that God doesn't exist. You think about the secular work philosophies in, in which so many people are part of and they have a philosophy that is in rebellion against God. They teach you that wealth is the true cause of happiness. They teach you to worship money, to worship power, and to worship fame. It's nothing more than idolatry. We're living in an evil day. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He says in the previous chapter, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. What a resembling description of America. Second Timothy 3 is. We live in a society that's far from God, a society that has diluted, deceived, and even distorted their thoughts regarding who God is. We are in a spiritual battle. 
But I believe there's an even greater reason as to why there's a resistance in our society towards God. I believe it's also because of the disappointing experiences. Have you ever heard someone say, church is not for me? You guys ever heard that statement? How about, I've tried going to church, but it just wasn't interesting. Or I used to go, but not anymore. Sounds familiar? You see, I want to give light to another reason to why there's a resistance against the church, and it's not the problem that we find in the world. Notice Revelation chapter 3, Jesus speaks to the church there in Asia Minor, the church of Sardis. And unto the angel or the pastor of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, that's Jesus Christ. He says, I know thy works. Jesus Christ says, I know what the ministries are, the ministries that you're involved in. I know the ministries that you're a part of. I know all that you're doing externally. You even look busy serving the Lord. But he says this, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. What a convicting thought. You know, the name Christian, the term Christian indicates that there is some spiritual vitality to it. And so for a Christian to, pro, uh, to portray a life that is anything but biblical is in resemblance of this verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. You identify with a name that indicates you have life, but you're living like you're spiritually dead. Matthew 17, we find in verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, this man was desperate to find healing for his son, and he finds Jesus Christ. He says, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water, and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. The disciples later in this chapter, in chapter 17 of Matthew, wondered why they couldn't heal. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, why didn't we have the power to cure this demon-possessed man? And Jesus, I'll paraphrase, says this, without hesitation, he answered and exposed the problem. He says, because of your unbelief. You know, one of the reasons why there's resistance towards the church is because of the external enemies that we have. But the other equally alarming reason is because of the problems inside the church. You say, what do you mean? What internal problems do we find in church that are causing unbelievers to resist going to church? Well, there's the hypocrisy of Christians. This is predominantly a very high reason for young people in where they have seen the hypocrisy of Christians who are older, Christians who've been saved, family members. And because of their hypocrisy, they'll use that, even though it's wrong to do so, they'll use that as an excuse to why they shouldn't go to church anymore. There's moral failures in the church. There's divisiveness between members. There are double standards hidden sins, false advertisements, failed expectations. There's the abuse of authority and leadership. There's the absence of authority and leadership. And so when you meet somebody and says, you know what, church is not for me, 
you have to realize that not only is Satan working in their life to keep them out of church, but they could already have been scarred by some sort of experience that was negative and disappointing and it's causing them to not have any interest in going back to church. In all reality, this is the elephant in the room. The Bible teaches us in the book of Peter, it says judgment must begin in the house of God. If we are going to be a church that conserves the, con- the converts that we see, if we're going to see members, uh, that, 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 that have, are people who've been saved in Friend Day and their musicals and uh, our, our Easter outreach, if we're going to see them get saved, get baptized, and get plugged into the church, we have to make sure that our church is not doing anything that's misrepresenting God in his word. No church is perfect, but every church should seek to be a church that the Bible says is presentable to God, that is holy, without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. Now, it's hard to do this as a Christian, but you have to discipline your mind to think this way. What you do individually affects the entire church body. What you do as a church member will have a larger impact on the church's testimony. We don't think that way anymore. We don't, we don't think like that regularly, but we should. That what you do in bearing the name of Heritage Baptist Church is important. Where you go, what you say, the things that you do privately or in public, all of that has a very heavy connection to the church's health. If you're a member of this church, it is your duty to represent not only God well, but this body of believers. And so we see the resistance in society. There's an external enemy that causes and tempts people to not be interested in church, but there's also a problem from within. The disappointing experiences have caused unbelievers to leave church or to stay away from church. Let's notice secondly now the reaching of souls. So we see that here in Thessalonica, the believers were living in a society that resisted God. But yet they were faithful in verse number eight, says this, they were faithful in sounding out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, their faith to God word is spread abroad. Despite the resisting of society and attacks of the enemy, God's work can and still must continue. Christians must not lose hope based on their society. Christians must not quit. Christians must not give up. Christians must stay on fire for the Lord. The society that we live in, no matter how bad the society is, does not remove the responsibility that we have to obey God. You say our society is messed up, and it is. But it doesn't mean that we have an excuse to not go reach souls. The condition of our world does not determine the possibilities of what God can and cannot do. We are still called to go and reach people for Jesus. Matthew 28 is still in the Bible. Where Jesus says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them, 
talking about now the discipling, the training, the building up, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Did God know that our society would be in its condition today, 2,000 years ago? Absolutely. God is not surprised by the darkness that our world is in. But what does bother him is when Christians refuse to hold up the light and reach people. Acts 1.8 still says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world or of the earth. Has the Holy Spirit lost his power? Then why aren't we seeing people saved regularly as they did in the book of Acts? You see, we must come to a conclusion that it could be our unbelief, our lack of faith that is causing the work of God to not continue or advance further. We must keep the main thing, the main thing, and you know what the main thing is. It's soul winning. Without the reaching of souls, we will have no converts to build up. Without the reaching of souls, we will have no congregations that gather for worship. Without the reaching of souls, we will not have a church that grows and, and, and sees missionaries supported and sent out. You see, the importance of reaching souls is still uh, a priority for us no matter what condition our society is in. So how do we continue to reach souls? Well, there is this matter of constant evangelism. We have to be faithful in the ministry of evangelism. It's why we exist as a church. It's why we serve. It's why we give. It's why we gather together. We must do all that we can in every ministry that we have represented in this room and in this church. We must do all that we can to reach people whether that be door knocking or canvassing or making visits that, uh, that we, we uh, set appointments for. Uh, all of these are important, but the most important thing is that we make sure that we get the gospel to people. If we have any ministries in the church that is not focused and on the same page with the priority of soul winning, that ministry needs to be revamped and restructured. If you're a Sunday school teacher here, you need to come and in preparation of your lesson, not only to build up the, the believers that are in that room, but you need to be constantly thinking, okay, who am I gonna reach for the Lord so that they could come join my class? You know, where, whatever you think is your weakness in soul winning, whatever, whatever inadequacy in, uh, uh, that you think you have and that you use as a reason to why you can't witness. In essence, all it really is, is unbelief. Because God says that through his grace, you can do all things to Christ. Being shy is not gonna cut it. Not having enough time to witness is not gonna be a satisfactory excuse for the Lord. Are you a Christian who is focused on this ministry of evangelism? Are you reaching people for Christ? We see the constant evangelism, but then we find letter B, the critical enrollment. Our prayer is that God would raise up more soul winners in our church. But as, he do, as God does raise up those soul winners in the church, our soul winners need to think biblically regarding the retention of the fruit and the new converts. 
the moment you lead someone to the Lord, you need to begin explaining and emphasizing to them their need of being grounded in the faith through the local church. If they don't get plugged into the church, they will never grow further in their faith. Colossians 2 says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And the Bible says, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We must do all that we can to help get new converts rooted in Christ through the church. That word spoil, you might want to underline this or look into your notes. The word spoil means to rob, to take away captive, or to lead away from the truth. You see, not only are we supposed to share the gospel, but we're supposed to help those who we share the gospel to, help those who've trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior, to get plugged in into the church. My son's turning one in, uh, on when is it, next Monday, this coming Monday, and uh, we're gonna uh, celebrate his birthday, and it's gonna be fun, and uh, just thinking back about the day that he was born, and how um, when he came into this world, the doctors were very caring, uh, very loving, very cautious in how to care for him. They didn't waste a single time attending to his needs. You know, if we treat our new converts without the care, without the attention that they need as a nurse would for a newborn baby, then what we're doing is we're hindering their growth or we're even endangering their life. As a Christian, we need to make sure that the moment a person gets saved, that we do whatever is necessary to attend to their needs spiritually. That's going to cause you to spend more energy, take more time in prayer, get out of your comfort zone. It's going to cause you to make sacrifices. And if you choose not to, then you're endangering that spiritual or that, that, that new convert's spiritual life. You see, this is a critical enrollment. We must do all that we can to get these people, these new believers, into church. Now, I'm gonna spend the rest of my time here together with us on point number three as to the reasons for staying. I wanna put some practical thoughts and practices for all of us to see and realize in what we can do in order to help converts stay. We talk about the, uh, the ministry of prayer and how every church member can pray, and that's true, okay? Here's also something that every church member can do. Every church member can help develop an environment in church that will cause new converts to gravitate and stay within, okay? The converts in Thessalonica, the Bible says in verse number six, said that they became followers of us. That's an important phrase. The, fall, the, the phrase followers of us indicates that they were not just some believers that got saved and they were emotional and the next thing you know, because of a trial, they left church. No, these believers that got, uh, the, these new converts followed the faith of the apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy. 
they, they stuck with it. They were rooted and established in the faith. Now the goal of Christianity is Christ-likeness. It's to be found in spiritual maturity and conformity to Christ. Take a look at Ephesians chapter number four if you could please. This is such an important verse that you need to understand and really ask the Lord to weave and develop into your own personal life as you minister to others. You need to memorize, meditate on Ephesians chapter four regarding the function and the purpose of the church. The Bible says, for the perfecting of the saints or the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of who? Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by the which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What we understand here is that this, this, uh, uh, this responsibility of the church is to create such a culture, such an environment, that when new believers get saved in the church, that when new believers come, they are immediately being ministered unto to be more like Jesus. Now that, that is just as important when the, the newest believer is a five-year-old boy or girl to an 85-year-old man or woman. No matter the spectrum of age, life stage, language, status, every new convert must be ministered unto in order to be more like Jesus. We want to help develop a Christ-centered culture in the church that surpasses, notice this, personal preferences, ethnic preferences and traditions, comfort levels, weaknesses and limitations, insecurities and fears, past disappointments and so forth, okay? Our church needs to be so structured in a way that when a new believer enters our church, a, a, a person gets saved, immediately they're drawn into wanting to know God more. Now you as a church member has a part in that because your attitude, your faith, your disposition of ministry will either bring somebody closer to God or farther away, okay? So how do we create an atmosphere? What, what, what are the reasons to why new believers will stay in church? I wanna give you four. I'll give you some Bible references to support that principle. And I want you to personalize each and every one of them if you could, okay? First reason why somebody, a new believer, will stay in church is this they have found the preaching of truth. Second Timothy chapter four, verse number two. You can turn there or mark it in your notes. The Bible says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Um, when I was a, 
back in Canada, my family and I didn't grow up to be Baptist. Uh, we, we, were, we weren't introduced to the Baptist uh, denomination uh, until later in life. And so what we were practicing was the religion of Catholicism. And when somebody asked me, a Christian asked me, why do you believe in Catholicism? And you have to understand, I grew up a Catholic, my parents grew up a Catholic, my parents' parents grew up a Catholic, and this has been going on for generations. And when I was asked, why do you believe in Catholicism? You know what I said? Embarrassed? I don't know, because my parents are Catholic. Okay? As a Christian, it's important that we're not just causing the younger generations to follow us because we said them, we told them to follow us. They need truth in order to go further in their faith, okay? So as a church, the most important thing that we can provide new believers is access to truth. All right, now how do we put that in practice? How many of you guys are a part of an AGG class? Adults, okay, good, most of you. If you're not, you should be, okay? When you attend your AGG classes and you're being taught the Bible, you need to, go, you need to attend those AGG classes faithfully, but also with excitement and a hunger to learn the word of God. Now, all of us have the flesh that we battle with on a day-to-day -day basis. And there will be time where your flesh will say, um, maybe you should skip AGG class. Or you'll attend, but you don't really want to be there. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The teacher is teaching, but your mind is like somewhere else. Your stomach's growling, right? And you're wondering when is this lesson going to end, okay? Now, you may not say a single word about that moment, of your discomfort and uh, uh, unpleasant situation at that AGG class, but your attitude can also be seen. As a church member, you need to pray that God keeps you hungry for his word. Because if a, if a, if a new convert comes to our church and they see you not paying attention to preaching, not taking your Bible lessons seriously, then it's giving them the idea that it's not important. Does that make sense? Okay. So individually, as a church member, we need to help elevate the preaching of God's word more each and every single Sunday. This is not just important to the kids. This is not just important to the teens. This is important in every life stage. We need to help elevate the truth of God's word. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20, Paul said this, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Take heed unto yourselves therefore and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you see overseers to feed the church of God. Okay, so you need to have a passion for the truth of God as it's being preached in church. Here's another thing that you want to add in application for this. Be careful in listening to the wrong doctrines. The television, the internet, all of those venues can easily cause a new believer or even older believers 
into following a trend rather than, a tr- than the truth of God's word. And you have to be careful that you don't allow these wrong doctrines to enter in and corrupt the church. You gotta be careful not to allow uh, 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 of teachings about like Calvinism or uh, um, authority and leadership, doctrines and principles regarding that. You have to be careful not to allow false doctrines to divide the church. Every church member should stand for the Bible and should take the time to study and show themselves approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God, okay? Still with this thought, if you are a church member who's not studying your Bible regularly, then you're not helping elevate truth, okay? Maybe you've started a discipleship class with, a, with somebody. Maybe you've, uh, you've been discipled before and then because of some reason you guys stopped meeting and it, you guys missed a week, you guys missed a month, you guys missed it for a year. Here's what I'm trying to say. Every Christian needs to do all that they can to elevate truth. So when pastor says you need to be enrolled in a discipleship class, then follow him in that matter. Uh, you need to be here for uh, three services. You need to listen to the word of God preach. Why? Because we're elevating truth. The more we elevate truth in the church, the more reason, uh, the, 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 the more a, uh, a, a new convert will want to stay here in church, okay? So here we find the first reason, the elevation and the preaching of truth. Here's a second one, which is important as well. The prominence of love. Jesus told his disciples, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love, if ye have love one to another. Now, if you think about it for a second, if you're a new believer and all that you've known is for religion to be hateful and divisive, angry, a bunch of disunity, and then they come to a Bible-believing church and what they see with other religions as far as disunity, how do you think they'll feel and how much interest do you think they'll have in staying if they see that same disunity in a Bible-believing church? We need to be a church where love is prominent. A church where believers forgive where believers help each other stay accountable, where believers are truly compassionate for the needs of others. The world doesn't need to see church members talking bad about other church members. They, what they need to find are relationships that can help provide the proper biblical fellowship and accountability. They need to find believers who truly love God, who truly love each other, and who truly love their church and the community. Harmony and unity are to be present if we want new converts to stay. Prominence of love. Letter C, the practice of grace. Peter told the believers in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Now let me give you my definition of grace. 
the word grace is often defined as, you know, God giving us something we don't deserve, God's unmerited favor, and that is very applicable. But if you study grace, grace is not just something God provides for salvation. It's actually something that we need after salvation very much, okay? Grace is God's divine enablement for human limitation, okay? So you apply that definition, that description for salvation. We could not save ourselves. We were limited in saving ourselves and taking our sins away. Therefore, God provided grace. He provided enablement for us to be saved. We cannot be sanctified or have power over sin on our own. That's why God says that he has given us grace so that we would live godly, soberly, righteously in this present world. All right? So follow this thought. Grace is God's work developed in and through your life. Let's take, for example, a church member comes because they were invited by somebody they know. And the person that invited them, they've known each other for a long time, even to the point where the believer that had invited this person, uh, they've known him before they've gotten saved. And so they know their past. They know their history. Imagine as a new convert that they've been attending this church, but there has been no change in their lifestyle whatsoever. And they say, come to church. It's a great place. God is at work. You'll love it here. But then that same person who was invited remembers fate. You used to swear, but you're still swearing now that you're a Christian. You used to do this, but now you're still doing this. If God's grace is not working in our lives to conform us to, to, into the image of Jesus Christ, that's going to be an excuse or a reason for new converts to not want to stay here. Okay? They need to see a church where God's grace is evidently working in and, in and through the believers. They need to see families being changed. They need to see sinful habits being overcome. They need to see the, 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 the believers being able to step out in faith and serve the Lord. They don't need to see false piety and self-righteousness. They don't need to see Christians who are overly critical and impatient. They need to see the grace of God working in and through the members in this church. In our college ministry on Friday nights, I always try to encourage our students to think about a testimony or a praise in which they could share to the, to, the, to the other students that are in the room. And we don't just do that to fill time. We do that so that the believers, the college students uh, in that room would be motivated by the testimony of a Christian who was living by faith. Okay? And you as a Christian has the opportunity by your lifestyle, by by God's grace working in your life, you have the opportunity in helping new converts, new believers stay in church because they're seeing God change you. And they'll say, you know what? I don't know what's going on in your life, but I need it. I know you used to do this, but man, I see such a difference. I see such a change in your lifestyle. You used to be such an angry person and God changed you. You used to uh, follow all these wrong things, but God changed you. I don't know how that all happened, but I want a part of that. When's the last time somebody said to you, thank you for making an impact in my life spiritually? 
if God's grace is working in your life, people are watching and they're going to see it. Dads, moms, when's the last time God's grace was evidently seen in your life so much that your children said, man, I want to have the faith of my dad. I want to have the prayer life of my mom. I want to have the fervency for souls like my parents do. That's the grace of God at work. If, if lost people or new, new believers come to our church and they don't see God's grace working, they're not going to want to stay. They need to see a church that is genuinely experiencing God's work every day throughout the week. Here's the last thought and we'll be done. Why do people stay in church? Well, because there's the elevation or the preaching of truth. There's the prominence of love. There's the practice of grace. And then lastly, we find the presence of God. First John chapter one, I'll read it, give you a few thoughts, and then we'll close. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, John writes, we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declared we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Why do people stay in church? Well, because they know God's there. They sense God and his presence in church. They sense God in the prayer times. They sense God in the singing of songs and congregational singing and, and choir songs. They sense God in the music. They sense God in the handshake of a greeter. They sense God in the smile of a greeter and an usher. They sense God at work. God's presence is here. You know, one of the big problems in... Um, in, in, uh, in Christianity circles that are following this new evangelical movement is a lot of it is emotionalism. And there's really no depth towards the faith that they carry. And so they'll get excited for a while, but that emotionalism, that hype wears off. And next thing you know, they're gonna be transferring from one church off to another. I, trust me, I've seen it happen. It's happened to people I know. It's happened to people that I've graduated with. Uh, it's happened to people that uh, I'm related to, okay? Where people, because of emotionalism, uh, being the, the reason for their choice of church or choosing the, the church that they go to, I've seen that, that transition occur, okay? We need to give people more than just an emotional hype. They need to come to church knowing that they could meet with God here. Uh, if, if, if somebody has a very serious health trial, they need God's presence in their life. If a marriage is about to fall apart, they need God's presence in their life. If parents are having a hard time with their children and the raising of their children in such a way that's extreme, they need God's presence. And if they're not gonna find it in our church, they're gonna, they're gonna go somewhere else, okay? Now, I said this earlier and I wanna emphasize it again. As a church member, you have a responsibility in making sure 
that all of these reasons are being developed in our church. Now, one person, one church member who does anything contrary to what we've covered is enough to hinder multiple new, new believers to stop going to church. I don't want to be the reason why somebody says, you know what, Heritage Baptist Church is not for me. I want them to see when they come to church that the truth is elevated, the truth of God is elevated, that love is prominent, that God's grace is at work, and God's presence is with us. We need to conserve, we need to retain new believers, and you have a part in that. It's not just pastor's job and the teacher's job or the staff and deacon's job to follow up with those believers. Everybody, from the youngest to the oldest, has part in helping fruit remain. Let's close, shall we? Lord, thank you for tonight. And I know tonight's message is really more instructional. But I pray that we would take it to heart and realize that we all have a heavy responsibility that we, carry every, that we carry with us every single day throughout the week. Lord, we're representing your name and we're representing the church's name. And so Lord, despite the society that we live in that is so anti-God and so resistant towards you and your truth, would you raise up a church body, a church congregation that is faithfully and passionately reaching souls? And not only are we seeing fruit, but we're also seeing the development and the keeping of those fruit. That we're not only bearing new believers in our church, but we're building those very believers into spiritual maturity. Lord, help us to be more soul conscious, to be more spirit filled, to be more thoughtful about our responsibility as a church member. Would you head about a nice close? Some of us have already come forward and the piano's playing. But tonight, maybe you're assessing your spiritual life and you're wondering if God can use you to make a difference in someone else's life. Maybe God placed a, person, a person's name in your mind tonight and God's working in your heart and says, I want you to reach them, get the gospel to them. Whatever it is, however God spoke to your heart tonight, would you come forward and do business with him? Let's do this with our head bowed and eyes closed. Some are still praying in the front. They were in their seats. But I invite you, let's go ahead and stand tonight. And as people are praying, wherever you are in the room, would you take a moment and just ask the Lord to help you? Help you be a Christian that bears the fruit of new believers. and a Christian that has fruit that remains. Sunday school teacher, 
Are you praying for those children in your class? Are you praying for those visits? Are you making the sacrifices to visit them and reach out to their family members, their parents? Who's in church because of you? Who's not in church because of you? Lord, thank you for the attentiveness of our members tonight and I pray that your word would not return void. Help us, Lord, to take to heart what the Bible teaches. Lord, I know we live in a very dark society. There's such a spiritual war against you in the world that we live in. But Lord, that doesn't give us the excuse to stop obeying you. In fact, even more so, more than ever before, Lord, we need to be Christians who are on fire for you, Christians who will hold up the gospel light wherever we go. Thank you for tonight, Lord. Bless your word now, we pray in your name. Amen.